Okay, guys, this is, uh, my name's Jeff Kramer. Hi, nice to meet you. Uh, I work here on the community team, and Jeremy Patty is also uh, teaching with me. He's in the blue over here. Uh, we both serve on the, uh, on the community team. And so uh, this class is on accountability. So we've already had a lot of confusion, but this is accountability we're going to talk about tonight. And so we're going to get this thing started with a funny video. So why not? All right. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. Then <laughs> stop it. All right. So you're in accountability. This is our accountability class. And uh, the funny thing about uh, this crazy word that we use uh, called accountability is it's not, this, this word is not in the Bible. So we're left to kind of describe it through various verses. And so the challenge with accountability is sometimes we're not sure exactly what we're supposed to be doing, right? We use it, if you've grown up in church, we use it all the time. But how do we define it? What is, how do we succeed at accountability is sometimes kind of left up to us when we sit down with, with each other. So if we're honest, I don't know how many of you guys were raised in church, but if we're honest, a lot of accountability time feels a little bit like that. And um, so what we would love to do tonight is to kind of dispel some of the misnomers of accountability and to start off, so you've got some great people around you. So we're going to do some table time tonight. We're going to try to have a little bit of fun on a Thursday night, if that's possible. But I, what, what I'd love for you to do is to spend 10 minutes, and we've got some questions. Now, the first uh, part is just an icebreaker. So you're going to have... Um, 
probably the best way to do this is to go around, answer the one of the icebreakers, one of the three, just to get to know folks at your table. And then I'd like you to spend the first minute by yourself answering these four questions at the bottom, or a minute or two. And then if there's eight at your table, you've got about a minute to go through and just say, hey, here's my icebreaker. Here's, here's what I answered for these four questions. Um, but that's just to get us started, to understand what's our bullseye? What are we trying to accomplish when we do accountability? So we'll go, and, go ahead and do 10 minutes of that right now. All right, guys. Are y'all best friends yet? Okay. Maybe not. Okay. Hey, uh, now it's time to hear from the extroverts in the group. Uh, so what, what was uh, some of the words that described uh, your accountability time? Hey, we're being honest in here tonight, right? Honesty is the best policy, so feel free. Okay, so yeah, a lot of, maybe a lot of stop it in your community group. What are some words that described uh, accountability? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, one, one was, hey, we're not even there yet. We're not even to the stop it stage yet. I would just tell you, hey, there's probably two types of groups in here tonight. One is the, the one that's striving to even stop talking about sports and news. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about being vulnerable and open and honest. There's some of you in here that are going, hey, I want it, but we're not there yet. Um, and then there's some of you that are maybe more the stop at, hey, help us understand biblically what's a better way maybe to do accountability. So hopefully there'll be some learning from both. Yeah, what's some others? Stressful, okay? So accountability is stressful. All right. What are some others? You can say good things too. You don't have to, you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So somebody's saying, hey, I, I saw you did this. What, what were you thinking? You know, help me understand this. It's a great. Accountability. Anyone? Words? Responsibility? Okay, what do you mean by responsibility? Like a duty. Yeah, okay. Right. So you go to community, you're supposed to do accountability. So you're fulfilling kind of a responsibility of, of that. Um, these are all great. The, th- the thing that we uh, realized about accountability is we really, there are some really, uh, some danger zones with accountability that we want to kind of address tonight. Uh, kind of the overview for tonight, we're gonna, I'm going to spend a little time on some of the dangers of accountability uh, that's done um, in a way that can, you know, be hurtful. Um, and then uh, we're going to focus in on one of the main, uh, most important attributes of accountability that's missed a lot of times. And then at the end of tonight, if we don't run out of time, I know we're kind of running late already, is to kind of flesh out what, what a more biblical view of accountability um, looks like. So to get started, why, uh, the problem, I think you have a handout here. Does everybody have this handout? Okay. These are for you people who like to fill out stuff. I mean, these, this is not for everyone, so, but just know if you... Uh, so we'll get started with the problem. Okay, so the problem with uh, accountability a lot of times is it's behavior-centered, what in the heck does that even mean, behavior-centered? Um, I'll explain that. Um, in order to explain that, um, 
there's one central truth about that's universal, and it's true for everybody all the time. Um, and that's we, we live what we believe. We, we live what we actually believe. So to give an example, uh, me and Jeremy were friends outside of on stage, and uh, we go to lunch from time to time, and we had a ball going to lunch together. We would do the top five burger, burgers in the DFW area. We had all this time. And then one day I go to ask Jeremy where he wants to go to lunch. And he got all weird on me. He's like, well, uh, my mom, I mean, my uh, wife said there's a great uh, little veggie burger place in Addison that we could try. And I was like, What? And uh, so we go, to be nice, we go, and then later in a very vulnerable moment, he, he tells me, hey man, the reason I've been acting so strange lately is because I watched watch this scary documentary on, uh, it's called Forks Over Knives or something like that, has anybody watched that? Anyway, he said, uh, you know, it basically, uh, meat is kind of like the devil, you know, like it's kind of like it's going to kill everyone with cancer. And so uh, that, that changed his belief. Okay, whereas burgers were his friend, now they were his enemy, and it got weird. And, um, and so just a silly point to, to just show the truth of this is we actually live what we believe. So his belief changed a little bit on what he thought about food, and it changed his behavior. Um, and so um, belief drive our behaviors. That's why behavior-centered accountability is very incomplete. Our, our beliefs drive our behaviors. Let me give you this example of, uh, let's say I have a brand new sports car and I, uh, am driving it around way too fast cause it's so cool. And, uh, and my check engine light comes on. Okay. How ridiculous would it be if I took my sports car to the mechanic and I said, Hey man, I need you to do it. Uh, my check engine light came on. Can you take a look at it? And he says, yeah, pop the hood. I'll take a look at it. And I'm like, excuse me. I just told you my check engine light is on. Will you fix it? He's like, yeah, but the problem's under the hood. And I'm like, no, the light is the problem. I want, you to, I want you to snip the wire. I'll be on my way. It'll cost me less anyway, and I'll be on my way. As silly and ridiculous as that is, that's what we do a lot of times in accountability is we focus on uh, the instrument panel at the expense of really understanding what's driving that. What, because our beliefs, what we believe, drive our actions. If we just stay in the actions, we're hovering around the instrument panel. So what's the danger of that? Okay, if you're, you're probably like me right now and you're thinking, oh, shoot, I do this all the time. This is, this is what we do in accountability. And um, I would just say, hey, um, it's time to tweak a little bit because when we, when we swim around uh, behaviors and we never drive into beliefs and what's causing those, then we're really, uh, you know, exchanging one behavior for another. So I'll explain that a little bit. The dangers of focusing on behaviors is this. When you focus on sin, sins or sin struggles, um, obviously it's good uh, to confess those. It's biblical to confess those. But the challenge is it sends us down a path that's confusing at least and dangerous at, at best, or dangerous at least and whatever that is. So it's, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous. So here's what it does. It, it focuses in on what questions. So, hey, did you, did you not do this? 
Um, guys are particularly really good at this in accountability, asking, you know, hey, did you, what, what? And it feels like a checklist. It feels like an accountability spreadsheet. And you're like checking, yes, no, no, I didn't. What that does is it focuses everything on me, right? So did I, did I not? So I am now focused on yes or no questions, closing-ended questions, um, and it can really breed some things that we don't want biblically. Um, it, breeds, it can breed legalism. It can bring, uh, breed a performance-based mentality. So you feel like, hey, I'm a great Christian when I did this, this, and this, and if I didn't do this, then I'm a bad Christian. And um, this is the opposite of what the gospel teaches. And so we wanted to bring that to you guys' attention tonight and talk through it. And that's what we'll spend a lot of our time. And really, um, at the, at, at the, on our very worst day, we use motivators, you know, that we're very comfortable with, like guilt and shame with each other of like, hey, man, it's 50 push-ups next time you don't do this. You know, it gets weird in accountability. And so... Um, there are some core, uh, let, oh, oh, let me use uh, Jesus as an example. So Jesus uh, meets the woman at the well, right? And what's her sin struggle? If she was in your accountability group, what are you, what's the sin struggle? Okay, yeah, lust. She's got five husbands. She's living with a man that she's not married to. Um, that's a behavior. Uh, what did Jesus focus on? He said, hey, Give me a drink. Um, he loved on her. Uh, it, he wasn't supposed to drink from a cup of a Samaritan woman. So he showed her all kinds of care. But really, he, he did not even address the behavior. He said uh, her, her belief that was broken was she believed that she could quench her thirst with men. That was her struggle. And so Jesus spoke to her belief. Okay? And so... There's more examples in scripture about this, but the Bible doesn't allow us to spend a lot of time on our sin and on our, those topical things. It drives to the truth. The truth sets us free. And so in accountability, we want to uh, focus on that. Um, we went through some of the dangers. Um, most of our sin issues, I'm going to give you two examples of two different sin issues, okay? One would be, you know, maybe guys struggle more with this, but, and then I'll use a, an example of a, a friend that's a girl of mine in my community group. Um, the point is, um, most of our sin struggles are heart struggles, and those heart struggles tend to be very similar, okay? And that's what we believe about who we are, okay? So our identity. So I'll give you two examples. One is, uh, struggle with pornography, okay? Um, you know, m most guys that are honest in their community group, this comes up, and it's right and, and great to confess and, and to give scriptures, but for me, this is part of my story. There was a, a nine and a half years ago when I first came, I learned how to be vulnerable, open, and honest, and I confessed. I felt horrible because I kept stumbling with this sin struggle, and what I learned over time, plus regen, and some things about me is, uh, there, is there a lust issue there? Yes, but that's not really what's going on in my core of my belief. The core of my belief, uh, and I'll give you a little bit of uh, insight into my story. I grew up in an emotionally distant family, okay? So emotions weren't shared. 
And I grew up being bullied a little bit. I don't know. I'm a redhead. I used to be really short and squatty. And I got picked on quite a bit. So as a young kid, um, I, I grew up with some really brokenness on feeling insignificant and like a failure. And so I'm all grown up now, and I'm struggling with pornography. But really, the, that, was, that was the instrument panel, right? That, that pornography would pop up. And at the core of that uh, was, you know, this feelings of insignificance. So in other words, when I get in an uh, argument with my wife and she would make me feel insignificant or I'd feel disrespected, all of a sudden that looked really attractive because I was looking, instead of looking to Christ to know who I am, who God has made me, I'm going, man, I feel insignificant. I need to protect myself and, or uh, use a salve. And this is this particular temptation. The same could be true with, there's a girl in my community group that uh, she said, I struggle with anger. And uh, so I went to Regen. She went to Regen. This is not a commercial for Regen, but it does help us understand. This is why they don't put you in groups with your sin struggle. They just, uh, they don't put you at tables because they know it all goes to one central thing. And so for her, it was anger. And so what she learned through doing her inventory at Regen and everything was that her anger problem was not just an anger problem. It was a very low self-esteem. And so her very low self-esteem um, made her want to control her surroundings to feel safe. And when she felt a lack of control in her life, guess what? She'd get angry. And so in accountability, the point is this, we cannot hover in the shallow end of the pool, okay? There's lust issues, there's anger issues, there's scriptures associated with that, but real healing will come when we're dealing with who God has made us and reminding each other who we are in Christ, which are identities. Those, there was a false belief for me that I uh, am a failure and I'm insignificant. There was a false belief for my friend. She was insignificant. And the Bible speaks very strongly and loudly uh, on those are lies from the enemy. And when we deal with those, then those topical things can heal. Um, does that make sense? Are y'all following me? Okay. So we're going to spend the majority of our time just talking about those core uh, beliefs. And Jeremy's, uh, the belief that we're honing in on, it's kind of the drive shaft of the engine, is really who does God say we are? Because that changes everything. And we need, in accountability, if we're just dealing with the lust, the anger, we're not driving down to, hey, let's read God's word, let's understand who God has made us, uh, then true healing can't happen. And so Jeremy's going to come up and talk to us a little bit about, about that. Can you hear me? Is this working? All right. Okay, just for the record, I do eat meat again. So, you know, don't hold it against me any longer. I, I, my beliefs change back. So beliefs can change. And um, so really what I wanted to talk about tonight, right, is the purpose, the parts, and practice of accountability. And so as Jeff mentioned, there's a lot of symptoms that we observe in accountability groups, but we want to get to the root. And oftentimes the root is related to how we view God and how we view ourselves. And we're going to talk about how understanding that, we can then apply that in helping counsel and encourage and spur one another on. Okay, so purpose of accountability is to encourage each other to live out who we have become 
in Christ. So notice the emphasis there on that definition. It's to encourage and talk about who we have become in Christ. We get that from Hebrews 3.13. It says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage each other daily, right? And so if we're not encouraging each other in our time together, we might be missing the mark. In fact, one of the main reasons we get together, according to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, um, is to encourage one another. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We threw around some words that we would use to define accountability and encouragement wasn't one of them. And we recognize that. And that's one of the valves that we want to pull on tonight and talk about because we, we want you to realize that accountability can be encouraging and uplifting. It doesn't have to be a drag. It doesn't have to be draining. There was a season in, in my, one of my former community groups where I wasn't looking forward to going to get together with the guys uh, to talk because we, we kind of fell into this rut that we're addressing tonight. And so even an admonishment, admonishing is part of doing life together, but it's meant to be encouraging as well. Uh, one of the definitions that um, we talk about uh, related to admonishing one another is Colossians 3.16, which is on the screen there. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms. This is interesting. Notice what, what it's through. It's through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Sometimes I think we use that word admonishment and feel like that's a license to be able to just beat down the other person or say some really harsh things. But if you look at the definition of admonishment and if if you look at the context in which it's used in the scriptures, it's, it's, there's definitely a warning and a corrective um, spirit behind it, but it's all in, in gentleness and with the spirit of encouragement behind it. In fact, the definition is to express warning or disapproval to, especially in a gentle earnest or kind manner to give friendly earnest advice or encouragement to this is an opportunity that we have right to now when we come to the table of accountability with folks is think through how can we and if we go back a slide to this encouragement if you look at the definition there to encourage us to make someone more determined hopeful or confident what if we started to take that approach when we go into accountability time with one another. I I know for me, I I didn't recognize this at the time, but whenever I was in uh, a former community group, uh, looking back, I thought my role was to really call out the areas in in the person's life that were were wrong and in order that they could address them. And and I felt like that was, you know, I I wasn't trying to be mean about it. I I thought that was really what would help them. And there's an aspect of that, but, but really what's going to help them is to be encouraging them about who they are and who they've become because of what Christ has done. 
And that's how we drive from behavior down into to the belief. And um, so encourage, accountability can be encouraging and it can be uplifting. Let's talk about some other parts of accountability. One of our core values on the community team in doing life together is to live authentically. The verse we use to support that value is James 5.16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so when you think about accountability time, there, there's also confessing and praying. Now, real quickly on the prayer thing, I think that's self-explanatory, but one of the things that we want to encourage you all to do in community and that we try to focus on is praying while we're together. And so my community group, when someone shares, you know, gives us an update on their week or what they've been struggling with or what things are going well, as soon as they're finished, we stop and we pray together for that person before moving on to the next person. And it's, I think it, it, it's, there's something about praying together that is really powerful, um, much less, you know, I know sometimes when we say, hey, I'll, I'll be praying for you. We have the best intentions, but it's easy to, to lose sight of that if we let it linger. So um, the part that I want us to really focus on, this, this belief that's under the hood that I think we can tinker with a little bit more tonight is confess, okay? And so to kick us off in that area, I want you guys to turn to your table now and talk through some of these questions about confession. And spend a few minutes doing that, and then we'll come up and we'll talk about that. All right? So go for it. Okay, so what were some of the things that you associated with confession? What's that? Pain. Yes. Shame. Say again. Open and honest, yes. Freedom, that's right. Can lead to freedom. Pride. Good. How, how many of, just curious, how many of you, when you thought of the word confession, thought of sin? Was that discussed at the tables? Okay, lots. Yeah, that makes sense, right? One of the verses that we just referenced said, confess your sins to each other, right? Um, it means much more than just confessing sin. And, and that's one of the things that we hope to expand tonight too is our understanding of confession because even confession can actually be encouraging and uplifting when we have a more fuller, more biblical view of what confession is. In fact, when you look at its use in the New Testament, it's used 36 different times in the New Testament. Okay, five times. Only five times it's connected to confessing sin. The 31 other times it's used, it's, it's confessing things that are true about God. And so, for example, here, it's you know, confessing that Jesus is Lord. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's 15 times in that way. And there's confessing praise to God. Because actually, the definition of confession is so much more. It, it's really simply acknowledging or agreeing with God that something is true. So we can confess a lot of things that are true from God's word. And, and that's what we want to 
move toward in our time together. We definitely want to be confessing sin because that is a normal and um, appropriate thing for us to do as believers. However, when all you focus on what, when all you tend to focus on is what you've done, then you're missing out on the beauty of what can be yours as you take it, you know, as you expand that understanding. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, There was a time a few years ago when I was in a really low place personally. And it, it wasn't because I wasn't spending time with the Lord. In fact, I was spending more time in quiet time with him. And um, I, I really had a strong hunger to pursue holiness. And I thought that in order to, to pursue holiness, I needed to focus on my sin and, and confess those things. Almost made it like a, a, an equation where in, in order for me to grow, I had to really get introspective and find the flaws and confess those things in order that I could grow. Now, when I was in this place, I, I had a friend that w- when I was at seminary, a professor of mine, his name was uh, Dwight Pentecost. And he, he was a man that I respected tremendously. He, he passed away last year or the year before at 99 years old. And so, uh, He'd been through a lot of life. And I just asked him about this. I said, have you ever experienced this? Like, I, I don't understand. I'm spending so much time, you know, in prayer, and, and, but I'm feeling low. And he, and he just looked at me the way he tended to do. He paused for a long time. I thought he didn't hear me. I thought I was going to have to say it all again. But, but it was just the way he was. He looked, his eyes just penetrated deep into mine. And he just said, Jeremy, he said, when you continually focus on yourself and sin, you'll have every reason to feel despair and to be despairing. He said, um, when he said that, that just, that hit me. I I, I thought, that's right. I'm I'm only, I'm only focusing on myself. And Psalm 34, 5, I think pictures this really well or states this well. It says, they looked to him and were radiant, speaking of God, and their faces were not ashamed. I was looking at myself and I was feeling ashamed. And I didn't have, I didn't have like these big sin issues that we you know, claim to be that are big sins that as though other sins aren't. But, but that's where I was, like feeling ashamed. And uh, it was because I took my eyes off of what we're going to talk about next. And so the visual, as we move into um, this parts of accountability, I want you to think a moment about your group. How much time are you spending focusing on sin, self, problems, issues? Is that consuming the time? See people nodding heads. This is what we're trying to, to elevate. As I mentioned before, it doesn't mean we don't confess sins, but there's more to it. And, and so I want you to imagine a three-legged stool right? If there's any one of these legs missing, the stool's going to fall flat, right? It's not going to work. The other, three, other two pieces of the leg that we're going to drill down um, further in is after the sin is confessed, confessing our Savior. So if sin is focused on what I've done, we need to move to what he's done about that sin in my life. And that's what I was missing in that season that I just described, I was losing sight of the fact that Christ died for that sin 
and I'm forgiven. And so in the third piece that we'll talk about is confessing sonship. And I'll explain what that means when we get there. But that's essentially identity. So it, it's crazy to think about. But look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The emphasis on focusing our eyes on, on Jesus. And, and it sounds so trite. It's like we all know this, right? But practically, when we play it out in community, we see all too often that's not our focus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You won't find in the scriptures where it says focus on yourself or focus on your sin. It says throw off those things. And focus on your Savior. So you confess the sin, yes, but then you run to Jesus. And you run to his arms because he loves you and he's done something about that sin. And we need to be reminded of that as we share with one another. Romans 6.10, Jesus died once for all sin. Sometimes we feel like as we confess, God's doling out more forgiveness. Like we're getting more portions of it but it's a one and done deal. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He's talking about in this particular context was prophesying about the new covenant. He was referring back to being mentioned back in Ezekiel, which we'll cover, but, um, This is true for us now. God's not so obsessed with our sins anymore because he's done something about them. And so instead of obsessing on our sins, I think we'd be better off obsessing over our Savior. And I was missing that. And we need to encourage each other to do that. So we're exalting, we need to exalt the Savior above the sin and stop focusing so much on beating each other down with pointing out flaws. If that, if that at all is happening in your group. So the third leg of the stool is confessing sonship. And this is really answering the question, who are you really? And so some of these things that I'm going to share here tonight are things that we want to also be sharing in our group. But this is one that I really want to hit on. And, and for me, whew, I, I could jump up and down and do cartwheels related to this leg of that stool because it's been so impactful in my life. The freedom that I've experienced as I've started to grasp on these truths and and the Holy Spirit just working them into my my belief system has been amazing. And so, um, who are we? Why is this so important? Well, the world... The world says, and this is one of your points on there, the world says that you are your works. In other words, the world from a very young age has been conditioning us to believe that we are what we do or that we are what other people say. I mean, think about it. When, when we're growing up, if we perform well as a kid, we get rewarded for that. If we perform poorly, we get scolded for that. We move into the school system and everything's based on our performance with grades, right? And if, if, you're, if you do well in school and if that, you're considered smart, your teachers like you, right? And you get good grades. If you're, 
not performing well, you get bad grades, you get meetings with your parents and with teachers, and you feel like you're not so smart. That continues into our sports, right? If you perform well, coach loves you. You get a lot of playing time. You make the best teams. If you don't perform well, you sit the bench if you even make the team. And then, and then that doesn't stop when we grow into adulthood. It continues on in our careers. As we perform well in our career, we get raises, we get promotions, we get accolades. I was in a sales career and uh, had performed well. And I, you know, they, they, I was like their favorite person. But if we're not performing well, you might lose your job or you might just not get a pay raise. You see, all, from a very early age, we've been conditioned to believe that we are what we do. And, and so now, yeah, as Jeff is mentioning, it seeps into our community group as well. And when, when we focus on behaviors, the same, same thing happens. In other words, if I, if I didn't, you know, um, if, I, if, if I feel like I perform well and I come into my community group, I feel like a good Christian, right? And, and people are like, oh, that's great, yeah. If I come into that group and I didn't perform so well the week before, I feel like a bad Christian and my group's gonna let me know. And I'm not gonna feel a whole lot better when I leave there. This all stems from the world just trying to potter us to believe that we are what we do. And so what's interesting though is Romans 12, one and two. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so the problem is, is that we've grown up to believe that we are what we do, but that we need our minds to be renewed to align with what God says is true about who we are because we're not defined by our behaviors. And so hear me, I'm not saying performance is a bad thing. Performance does matter, but when performance defines you, it can be detrimental. Or when you feel like it defines you, it can be detrimental. And so what does God's word say about you? And your point there, your next point is the word says that you are his work. You're his masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10 says. You may not always feel like it, but we're called to live by faith, not by our feelings. And if we're confessing that God's word is true, he says you're his masterpiece. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 say it more specifically what this masterpiece looks like. He says you're a new person with a new nature. This is God in the uh, Old Testament speaking about when Jesus would come and implement the new covenant. And here's what it says. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So specifically, what does this mean? Think about this. You have a new heart, you have a new spirit, and God's spirit is in you. This is what it means to be a new creation, to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old is gone. The new has come. What else does God say about who we are? You're a son. You're a daughter. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. John, this uh, next verse is from John 1.12. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You see, behaviors don't define you. Birth defines you. Birth determines your identity. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus he didn't have a doing problem. He needed to be born again. See, we're born into this world sinful and wicked and with a dirty heart because of the fall. But being born again means that we're born new, born of God. And there's tremendous value and worth that you possess. You're one of his sons and daughters. Think about this for a minute. This is crazy. This, th- these are the things that I could just stay on all night and I gotta probably keep moving. My wife's laughing. She told me not to stay here. But this is the stuff that's been so impactful to me. Like, when you, when you buy something, you're, you're usually, you're willing, like when you go buy a car, you work with the dealer to try to get it to a price that you feel like is a good value. And you're willing to pay whatever value you place on that object. Think about, if so, if the value of something is determined by what we're willing to pay for it, think about what God the Father paid for you. The blood of his son, Jesus worth far more than every than all the jewels and rubies and diamonds of the earth. But the Father looked at you and said that you are worth the blood of Jesus to me. That's what we need to hear from one another in community. Yes, I know you did this, but this is who you really are. So, I'm going to move on before I stay there too long. Um, So what happens to the old person? And we're going to talk about, hang with me here, because I know, well, why do I still sin? What, you know, what's that about? We're going to look at that together right now. So now we're going to spend a few more minutes together at table time talking about, okay, what happened to our old nature, our old person then? And this is, again, related to identity. And so what we're going to look at is Romans 6 together. Okay, so spend a few minutes here going over these four questions. And please, guys, don't divide and conquer this thing out. Really read it together. Talk about it. We'll give you some time to do that, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll come back up here. Okay, so go for it. So what happened to the old you, the old nature? Died, right? It's dead. Dead. It's what Paul says, right? Romans 6, 6 and 7 summarizes it really well. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so you see Paul hammering this nail over and over again 
You've died to sin. You've died to sin. Why? In that section, it's like, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul's like, no, you died to that. I know that uh, in the book of Romans, over thir- about 30 times, Paul says they are dead, they died, their old self was crucified, they should consider themselves dead, 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 dead. You think he was trying to get them to believe that they were dead to sin? Now, so the question is, is well, why do, we, why do we still struggle with it? Well, it's not because that's who you are. Okay? You died to sin. Sin didn't die. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they still tempt us to try to get us to believe that we're not sons and daughters of the king, that we're not brand new, that we're not fully forgiven. And again, you remember, we're shaped to think that we are what we do. And so when we commit a sin, it's natural for us, if we're not careful to think, oh, I must then be wicked and dirty still. And the enemy whispers, see, I told you, you're the same old person that you've always been. You're always gonna struggle with name whatever the sin is. If you look at Paul's writings, most all of them, he starts in the book talking about how great God is, so helping tweak our understanding of God, and then he talks about what God has done to you. And then he talks about behaviors. So it's always identity first, this is who you are, put on clothes, behaviors that match who you are at your core. Colossians 3 is a great example of it. The first couple of chapters, he's talking about you, you are now uh, dead uh, to sin and alive to God. It's a similar theme as this, but then he also says that uh, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And it said your former ways, you used to put on anger, malice, dissension. He says, and then he moves into Colossians 3, and I love it. He says, Uh, In verse 12, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now he starts to move into, here's what someone that is, has been made a son and daughter. This is how they behave. It reminds me of that show of uh, what not to wear that used to be on back in the day. And, and here's, how, here's how this analogy works, right? Like if you haven't seen this show, what not to wear, what they do is somebody would vote like their mom or their friend and say, man, this person needs help with their wardrobe. We need the experts to come in and help them because man, the stuff they're wearing doesn't match who they are and how they, they look and act and all of that. So they come in, they get to know the person, then they get rid of all their old wardrobe. They throw it out. And they, they replace it all with a brand new set of clothes. And, and, and they're, they're, it's intended to be clothes that look good on that person and work well with what they look like. And, and that helps me be reminded of the behavior verses in scripture. The behavior verses always come on the heels of who we are. And so it's like Paul uses this analogy, this putting off and putting on a lot. He's saying, put off these behaviors and put on these because that matches, that looks good on you, right? Because you are a son and daughter. And so um, what we learn from Paul and what we need to bring into the living room when we do accountability is Paul emphasizes identity. And we need to learn how to do that same thing. And so 
Essentially, you can see here, I just summarized. He, he says it three times just in that short section. He's saying, know that you are dead to sin. Know that your old self is dead. And then he uses a stronger word that's like reckon. We don't use that much these days, but in the Greek, it really just there's an emphasis is you've got to believe me. You're dead to sin. Count it as true and alive to God. And so this is the kind of message we need to be reminding each other of in our accountability. We died to sin. We're not made for it any longer. There's no lasting benefit or satisfaction in sinning. And expressing Christ is more fulfilling because that is what we've been born again to do. We have been born again to manifest Jesus. That's our destiny. That's our calling. And that's, we are sons and daughters meant to look like our father. And so now it's time that we realize that, embrace that for ourselves and speak that truth to each other, confessing that to one another. And then we'll start to see behaviors that match who we are as we recognize that. So last slide here. Here's just a summary of who you were prior to being born again and trusting Christ. The old nature of the old person was in the flesh. You were a slave to sin. You, you had no choice but to sin. You were in the kingdom of darkness. You were dead in sins, that should say. You had a sinful nature. You had a wicked heart. You were a son and daughter of the devil. And you were dirty and distant from God. Praise God that he loved you enough to send his son, came to you, died on the cross because he thought our life was worth living. He could have wiped us all out, but he didn't do that. And now if we've trusted him, this is who we are. And I'd, I'd challenge you to go look in the scriptures to see the verses that support these statements. But you're now in the spirit. You're a slave to righteousness. You're in the kingdom of light. You're alive to God. You have a new nature. You have a new heart. You're a son and daughter of the king and you're clean and close to God because it's the blood. It's the blood that washes you, not anything else. And so with that, we're gonna end, not, I say end, we're gonna transition into, okay, so now how do we apply these beliefs into the living room? But in order to do that, we think this next video does a great job just capturing the heart of what we need to learn to communicate to people in our groups that are continuing to struggle in sin. And this clip that I'm gonna show is from Blood Diamond. How many of you have seen Blood Diamond? Okay. The, the clip I'm gonna show is of a, of a son who was abducted by a warlord in Africa. And this is based on a true story. And this, this has, happens today. They're abducted and they're trained to be soldiers, children's soldiers that do... They, they kill. And the way they do that is they feed them a bunch of drugs. They have them do commit atrocious acts. Um, and they brainwash them to believe they're these evil kids. And so the scene that we're going to look at is, uh, this is after the father of this boy has, has got him out of this camp. And they find this diamond that is really their, their key to getting out of the country and getting free from this oppression. But watch what happens to this young boy when he loses sight of who he is. 
You got it? Have you got it, huh? Yes, got it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Solomon. What are you doing? Pilar Diavanti of the Proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy. Soccer. On school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister yonder. And you do, baby? The cows wait for you. Unbabu. The wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? That's how our Father feels about us. We need to be reminded of that often. And that's why we gather together to spur one another on and remind each other of who we really are. And so Jeff's going to come up now, I think. Guys, thank you, like, thank you so much for coming tonight. Um, let, me, let me pray. Let me pray and um, we'll be done. Lord... Um, We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the truth of your word. Father, um, we know that the word of God is living and active. Um, and and uh, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. So we, as we spend time in your word, um, we have the, the equipment to remind of, of truth and who you are. And I just thank you for your word. And I thank you for your people. I thank you that, Father... Um, that, that you remind us of these, these great truths. And Father, as we do accountability uh, with one another, Father, I do pray that it would r reflect your heart and your love for us uh, truly, Father, because we are beat down folks and we are broken. And um, Father, remind us of the, what you've, uh, how valuable we are to you. And uh, so thank you for everybody that's here. Um, I just pray that you would encourage and strengthen each community group, um, Father, that's represented. Um, we love you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.